So our text today is actually from the book of Malachi, chapter 3. I'm going to start in uh, chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 7 and read down to verse 12. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you, for you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your wine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day to come before you, to worship you, to praise you, to hear your word preached to us. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you open our hearts now and expose by the greatness of your light the darkness within. And we pray, Father, that you, by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, cast it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why do we tithe? What is tithing all about? We all know it's a command, but it, just, it, it isn't just a command. Tithing isn't about duty. It really isn't. Tithing is about blessing. The word tithe is an old English word for a tenth. It's a tenth. It's best articulated in Leviticus when the shepherds would have all of their new lambs go by and they would count out every tenth and collect it and then give it to the Levites. That's where the the word tithe comes from. They would count out a tenth of their increase. Well, what's their increase? What's an increase? Your increase is the amount you receive from your work. It's not your net worth. Your net worth is your net worth. Your increase is the, uh, comes from the work of your hands, and it's what God is adding to your net worth. So to give a tenth of your increase is to give a tenth of your income. That's the idea. To get a tenth, you need to first see the total of your increase. You get to see how much God is growing your net worth and recognize and recognize his generosity by designating a tenth of it for his purposes. It's a, it's a way of math. It's a way of doing math that tangibly shows you how God has blessed you. Your increase is a result of God blessing the work of your hands financially. Giving a portion back to God recognizes his faithfulness, his generosity, and his lordship in your life. The tithe blesses the church by providing the means of ministry, from the pastor's salary to mercy ministries to the tithe meal. What's the tithe meal, you're probably wondering? Well, we're going to get to that. Tithing is about promise. What God promises to do with the tithe in your life and in the life of your community. Tithing is about relationship. It's not about finances. It's about drawing close to God in faith. It's about recognizing who provides your daily bread. Who is sovereign over you? Who is sovereign over the world and all that is in it? 
Tithing is and is a command, but we have to understand that all of God's commands are not meant merely for us to obey. It's not just about obedience. God's commands are about blessing, they're about fruit, and they're about promise. The most important good that results from obedience is that God uses it to shape and mold you. But there are other and many tangible benefits to obeying God's commands. God doesn't say, do this because I said so. That's never the reason that God gives a command. God's commands are good for you in real life and practical ways. Think about it. Thou shalt not murder. That's a pretty tangible benefit to not murdering, right? Both for the, everyone else and for you. Not coveting teaches you to be content with all that God has graciously given you. Not coveting results in real happiness. Keeping the Sabbath, a weekly day of rest, is not only good for you, it's good for your body and your overall health. Other commands of God come with actual promises, as in Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. Honor your parents and you'll live a long life. That's pretty good. Now let, let us look at the command to tithe. There's several places that it occurs. Deuteronomy 14.22, Leviticus 27.30, and Proverbs 3.9 are three specific ones. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field all year. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Now, if we look at Malachi 3.10, we read this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Here's the promise that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God promises that if you tithe, he will bless you abundantly. And here we go. Pastor Hellickson takes a vacation, and Mike decides to preach the health and wealth gospel. Welcome. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Now, am am I saying that if you put your 10% in the box in the back, that God is going to give you a 25% return on your money? No. No. God is not a mutual fund. God is not a mutual fund. But the text says right here, test the Lord. It says, test the Lord and see if he won't bless you. Tithe and he will pour blessing down on you. Now, what we call blessing and what God calls blessing are rarely, if ever, the same thing. We all know this, I think, at this point. Blessing isn't what we think we need, right? A new Tahoe, for for instance. Blessing is what God knows we need. That's what blessing is, what he knows we need. What God says is that obeying him with your finances is is attended by blessings that overflow. It's not about money. We read in Scripture that wealth doesn't always line up with blessing. Look at Solomon and his many wives. Look at Abraham leaving Egypt and Naomi leaving Moab. Elijah visiting the widow and the unnamed prophet visiting Eli the priest. In these cases, the rich people aren't always the blessed people and the rich people aren't always the cursed people. There's a lot of variety. There's a lot of variety. The point is monetary wealth and blessing aren't mutually exclusive. But obedience to the Lord is always blessed, always Tithing comes with its own set of blessings and promises, and that's what I want to set before you today. Our Heavenly Father promises, promises to bless our tithing by using it to build the church. He promises to respond to our faithful tithing 
by increasing our increase and building our faith, most importantly. There are many blessings that attend faithful tithing, including straight obedience. That in itself is a blessing, but that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. There's more to it than that. First, let's consider how our tithe fills the house of the Lord to bless the needy. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. Simply put, my tenth is not very much. It's pretty small. Your tenth is actually pretty small, too. Everyone in this room, all of our tenths by themselves are very small. But ours together, you take all those little tens, you put them together, it adds up to quite a lot. Together, we fill the Lord's storehouse with the means to fill the Lord's house with people through ministry. I can't afford to do much for the needy. I don't have a lot of time, and I don't have a lot of money. But if we pool, pool our resources, if we pool our resources, the church can do a ton. Think of a community group meal. If I try to provide everything for all the families in my community group, I, or I should say my wife, let's be honest, is quickly overcome. And so is our budget. But if we divide it up, if we provide the entree, another family the side dish, another family the appetizer, another family the dessert, and everyone brings a bottle of wine, well, everyone's little bit adds up to quite a lot. It's pooling our resources. That's how we get things done. This is what God intends for our tithe. Churches need a staff. Churches need ministries. With the pooled resources of the community, the church can provide both. Turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29. Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 through 29. At the end of every three years... You shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Here, the tithe provides for the Levite, or in our case, the pastor. It also provides for the widow and the orphan. The local church is financed through the tithe. Now, in Ephesians 4, we understand that God provides pastors and teachers to equip the body for the work of ministry. It's not the teachers and pastors simply doing the work of the ministry. They're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Men dedicated to teaching and preaching are necessary to equip the rest of us, all of us, for the work of ministry, charitable works of mercy and, in fact, evangelism. The tithe provides a living wage for these teachers and preachers. Also, the tithe provides for the fatherless and the widow. Now, if you're a widow or an orphan in Israel, you have no means of provision. You have no way to provide for yourself. And so they are the poor. So that, that's the, tr the straightforward transfer to the new, new covenant. We're supposed to take care of the poor. But there's a lot more to it than that, actually. In Israel, a widow and a, and a uh, orphan actually have no representation in the community because there you had to be a man. You had to be a land-owning man. And if you have no father, if you have no husband, you're not represented in the community. You have no representative. You have no protection. You have no one who represents you in court. So 
Orphans and widows are the marginalized. They're the people in the community who have no voice of their own. The tithe was used to relieve the social and economic woes of the disadvantaged. The outcasts who live among us, essentially. The lonely and the needy. We call these mercy ministries here at Redeemer Church. They're staffed by the body, trained by the pastors for the work of mercy, provision, support, etc. Really, I have a lot more I could say about this, but ministering to people's financial and social needs is really just a means to build relationships to minister to their deeper needs. But that's a sermon for another day. Notice also, before we move on, in Deuteronomy 14.29, that when we provide mercy ministries, the Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Tithing is blessing to the community, and obeying this command is itself attended by blessing. Not by manipulation on our part, but because a faithful God blesses faithfulness. He recognizes faithfulness, and he blesses it. Now, if we turn, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. Your thumbs are going to get a workout today, I promise you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. You will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval for this service, they will glorify God. Our generosity in service produces thanksgiving to God and will lead to the recipients glorifying God. I don't know if many of you have done mercy work, but a lot of times that is exactly what I see. Helping people fills them with gratitude and happiness. The, the grace of God given to us that we then give to others points them to the one who gave it to us. This is how it works. It's a, it's a cir- circular thing. Now, back in Malachi, see, look at that. You already got to flip back to Malachi. Back in Malachi, in verse 12, it adds this little interesting note here. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Tithing our first fruits produces the fruit of a good witness. It proclaims generosity and abundance. Essentially, it proclaims to the world and to the recipients the grace of God. Our tithes fill the house of the Lord and are the means to bless Linwood by providing a minister and mercy ministries to the community. But what happens if we fail to obey this command? What happens? I'm going to make you turn your Bibles again. Ready? Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13, 10 through 13. This is what the prophet had to say. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. And he goes on. What happens? What does it mean that they had to all go to the return to the field? That means the Levites and the singers, the one leading the worship of God, 
have to go and work for themselves. No one is providing for them to do the thing that God called them to do, which is minister to the Lord and to people worshiping the Lord. We see that if the tithe is not provided for, the Levites or pastors and the singers have to flee to their own field. No one had provided for them, and so they have to go to their own field and provide for themselves. Of course, abandoning the house of the Lord. Without the tithe, the local church doesn't survive. It's quite simple. Without the tithe, there are no pastors. There are no musicians. There is no church building, and there is no ministry. God uses your tithe to bless the community to provide these things. Your tenth and my tenth, added to everyone else's tenth, creates a church community that is built up in the word of God that worships the Lord and provides mercy work to a needy community. That's the the purpose of the tithe. That's the blessing of it. Are you blessed by regular preaching that is edifying and instructive? I hope so. Are you blessed by godly counsel and good leadership? Are you blessed with a wonderful facility to gather in, to sing and worship the Lord? That is your tithe hard at work. Are we able to provide mercy ministry to the community, extending the love of God, the love God has so graciously poured out on us by pouring it out on others through cheerful generosity? That is our tithe hard at work. Now, the last thing, one of the most important things, is the tithe meal. The tithe meal is found in Deuteronomy 14.23, in which this beautiful verse right here occurs. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. God wants you to bring your tithes in and enjoy them in his presence. This is what the tithe meal is. Now, last week, we all gathered in the large room next door and ate a meal provided by your tithes, and we learned to stand in awe, for that is what it is to fear God. We stood in awe as we recognized the many, 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 many servants of the church who are faithful in the Lord. It was a glorious thing. That is our tithe meal. That is a meal of thanksgiving. God uses your faithfulness in tithing to love and bless through the work of his ministers who build up the body for the work of ministry, through mercy work for relieving the social and economic strain on the disadvantaged, and through the tithe meals of thanksgiving. Our tithes taken together are, are in fact, a mighty force of blessing in the hands of the Lord. He uses it to shape our community and our community's mission here in Linwood. God blesses you and many others through your faithful tithing. But that's not all. Oh, we're just getting started. The Lord uses your faithful tithing to increase your increase. We go back to Malachi 3.10, yet again. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Your increase is in the hands of the Lord. It is not up to chance. God controls the production of the wheat field and the rise and fall of the Dow on Wall Street. God controls the factors at work on orchards, salmon runs, and housing prices. God controls all of these things. The Bible teaches that God sustains you and me and everything, every day, every minute, of every hour. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Psalm fifty ten through 11. The Lord says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I'm going to keep going. Acts 17, 25, and 28. He himself gives all men, all men, life and breath and everything else. For in him we live and move and have our being. Matthew six twenty six. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Every breath is a gift from God. Every bite of food is a gift from God. Every day we live is determined by him. He has not left us to our own devices or the whims of nature or the malicious acts of other people. No, he constantly sustains, provides for, and cares for us every moment of every day. And he does not ever get tired. God governs this world and is intimately involved with every blade of grass and every cow eating the grass, with every cell of your body and every cell of food needed to nurture your body. In Malachi, Israel isn't tithing. That's the problem that the prophet has. They aren't tithing. In Malachi 3.8, God says, Israel is robbing him. They are withholding from him. They are hoarding what God has so generously given them. Since God mentions opening the windows of heaven and rebuking the devourer, which is actually the name of a little insect, like a locust that eats up all the crops. It's actually called the devourer. It's a little tiny thing. And they don't usually show up just one at a time. They usually show up by the millions. So God says he will rebuke the devourer. Because God mentions these things, Israel might want to appeal to drought and pestilence as the reason for not tithing. How can we tithe? The devourer ate most of it, and there's a drought on. But God gives himself as the reason for Israel's small small crops. You tithe, and I'll open the, the heavens, and I will rebuke the devourer. God is working through drought and very small insects to chastise and dis- discipline his disobedient children. In Malachi 3.9, God says, you are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. That word does not mean what, the same thing in the Bible that we mean by it. Okay? Um, the Father, Son, and Spirit are not three witches with a cauldron, you know, creating these curses on people. That's what we think. That's what I think when I think of a curse, some sort of black voodoo magic or something. It's not like that. A, a curse is, is not a final judgment. It's not like God curses you and then that's it. The word curse in the Bible doesn't mean that. A curse from God is discipline. That's what it is. It varies in severity based on God's children and their level of disobedience. A curse is something that can happen for a time and then go away. Israel's failure to tithe is the reason God is withholding rain and allowing the devourer to eat their crops. The curse is his way of getting their attention. It's him knocking on the door. The drought and pestilence pestilence are the result of Israel's disobedience, not the cause. God says, tithe, and I'll open the rain clouds and rebuke the pestilence devouring your crops. So why is God withholding the rain? Why is God withholding the rain? Why is God cursing and disciplining his children? 
It may seem at times that God's hand is against us, but God is a loving father trying to get Israel's attention, and at times he's trying to get our attention by squeezing our wallets. If the people of Israel are being unfaithful stewards, why in the world would God reward their disobedience? If their response to the pressure from heaven is more disobedience, why would God reward them? Why protect an increase that Israel is using selfishly? Once the pressure is on, Israel is looking at a shrinking increase and withholding even more. They know that God provides. They know that God controls the weather, the world, and the forces at work on their fields, and yet they are not putting two and two together. God is a loving Father who minimizes our opportunities to disobey and provides opportunities to obey. God is withholding from them because the greater the increase, the greater the disobedience. Israel is unfaithful with little, and so they'll be unfaithful with a lot. So logically, God doesn't give it to them because he's trying to minimize their sin. They're sinning because they're not tithing off the little bit they're getting. If he gave them more, the sin would increase. So God is actually protecting them by doing this. God says in Malachi 3.7, Return to me, and I will return to you. Acknowledge that the, what the Lord is doing. Render unto the Lord what is the Lord's, and he will open the heavens and rebuke the devourer. God will increase your increase to staggering levels. God gives the increase and measures it out in portions we can handle. The one who is faithful in little will, in fact, receive greater and greater amounts of blessing. That is what the Bible teaches from front to back. So if we obey God, we should expect greater financial rewards. Is that what I'm saying? In some cases, actually, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. But God, again, is not a mutual fund. Okay, This is not one of those you put the quarter in the slot here, pull the, pull the lever, and you get something greater out of it. That's not how necessarily God works. Okay, It's not a mechanism like that. God still occasionally allows us to experience afflictions, financially and otherwise. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes your affliction is meant to teach you God's law. Sometimes you are obedient, and you're bearing fruit. And when I used to have trees that grew fruit, after the fruit, that's when you trim it. This, this can be very confusing for all of us. After you bear fruit is when God comes and trims the tree. Now, that is different than if you're being disobedient and he's trying to get your attention. Well, how in the world do we know the difference? How do we know the difference between Job, say, and Israel here in Malachi? Check your heart. That's how. Pick up the word of God and read it. Talk to the, to the fellow Christians. Get advice. Check your heart. Are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you? Can you stand up like Job and say, I am faithful. Test me. Test me, God, and see if there is any iniquity in me. Are you standing in Christ by repenting of your sins and being faithful with, with what God has given you? Or are you being unfaithful? Are you being obedient or disobedient? Be honest with yourself and seek the face of the Lord. Ask him to search your heart and to reveal to you whether you're being disobedient or whether he's just merely growing you up in the faith. 
Uh, imagine what Israel is thinking okay, here in Malachi. They are looking at dwindling returns every year. They know a difficult winter is coming in which rationing will probably have to occur. And the last thing they want to do is give away 10% of a very small pile. They are concerned, obviously, with their own comfort. Who wouldn't be? But they've forgotten God. They are more anxious about their own comfort than obeying God and trusting in his provision. Now, I have been in the position of Israel. I don't know about you, but I've sat down with my bills, my bank statement, and I've done the math, and frankly, it didn't add up. And for that reason, I have, in fact, held back my tithe, thinking, you know what, I'm going to just, I'll take that little bit of extra, I'll get ahead, next time I'll be twice as generous. And um, what actually ended up happening is there was even less next time. <laughs> I, mean, I never, did, never did quite catch up. I had to finally give that plan up. <laughs> when you have little, 10% is a lot. 10% is a lot. But God says, return to me, and I'll return to you. God says, trust me, I'll open the heavens. I'll increase your increase. I'm the God of your 401k. I'll lead you through economic uncertainty and teach you to overcome even financial foolishness in the past, like credit card debt, if you trust and obey me. That is what God is saying. Don't hold back from God his due. Render unto the Lord what is the Lord's. Show him your faith in him and your submission to his sovereign hand. Return to him his due, and he will return to you by guarding and increasing your increase. Malachi 3.11 mentions this devourer. For us, we have all kinds of devourers. The biggest one is the IRS. Mold is another one. A leaky roof is another one. The devourer for us is the car that won't turn over. It's the jump in gas prices when you can least afford it. The devourer consists of all those tiny little things that nibble and gobble up your increase. They are all in the hands of the Lord. They are all in the hands of the Lord. God says he'll rebuke them and protect your increase. God can get your, far, your car farther on less gas. He can make your batteries last five times longer. He can extend that same package of ground beef to a few extra meals. This is very difficult for us because we are the, the Christians of books and ideas and knowledge. We're uncomfortable with a God that lives in our freezer. We are. We don't like God in our freezer. We don't. It's true. Am I saying that God is going to protect your cell phone battery in the contents of your freezer? Is that what I'm saying? That is, in fact, actually exactly what I'm saying. And is it because God cares about your smartphone? Does he love iPhones that much? He just wants them to last twice as long as everyone else's? No. God loves you. He loves you. And therefore, he takes care of the things he puts in your hands. That's what he does. Think of Israel all those years in the desert. It's hilarious. Nobody ever noticed. I've been wearing these shoes for 40 years, some of them could say. And lo and behold, they've never worn out. It's amazing. That was Israel in the desert. That is our God now. He cares about sandals. The contents of your freezer, your cell phone battery, your gas, it's not beneath him. It's not beneath him. You are his. Return to him, and he will return to you, and he controls everything. God so loved the world he gave. We don't even need to go farther than that. That's the idea about God. God so loved the world he gave. 
And if he gave you, through miraculous and marvelous circumstances, the life of his son to redeem you, what won't he do? If he starts there, anything is possible. Anything. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Your phone battery, your visa bill, your freezer are not beneath the triune God. He cares for you, and through Christ, he will give you all things. Open your heart, open your mind, and open your hands. Return to him, and he will return to you. But to do so, you have to have faith. Faith. That's the key. God uses your tithe to grow your faith. Faith is what this requires. Faith is what it takes to put the check in the box every month when the math doesn't add up. Faith in God's promises, faith in God's provision, faith in God's goodness, his wisdom, and his power. Is he bigger than Visa? Is he bigger than Winco and Costco? Is he bigger than the water company, Wall Street, and the federal government? That's the question. In Malachi 3.10, God says one of the most profound things I've ever read, Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Test him. That's what he wants. He wants you to test him. He's asking you to test him. Finances are a noisy foe. They are a giant like Goliath at times, and what's important is how we fight. Are we going to put our trust in the things of this world or in the one who holds this world in his hands? Writing that check every month requires belief. It requires dying to our fear, our uncertainty, and our greed. We have to let it go. Put the check in the box and test the Lord. Is he faithful? Is he trustworthy? Tithing is a regular test of your faith, and God accepts the test. The Christian life is about trusting God. He says, follow me, and we can only do that if we trust him and in in him alone. He is good and he is faithful. But but doesn't your mind, when you hear this verse in Malachi, automatically think, isn't it wicked to put the Lord to the test? In fact, doesn't Jesus say something about that? Matthew 4, 7, Jesus says to Satan, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, well, what is going on here? To test the Lord without promise. To test the Lord without promise is dangerous. If we are going to say sin just to see what God is going to do about it, that would be stupid and dangerous. To read scripture, say the book of Daniel, and then try to prove to yourself that God really loves you by throwing yourself into a lion's den would be dumb. It would be dumb. You would be eaten by the lion, rightfully so. Okay? Don't read Daniel and go to the zoo. Just don't do it. Developing your own methods, our own methods, for testing God's character, for testing his faithfulness, for testing his word, coming up with these tests on our own is the worst kind of foolishness and the worst kind of danger. But here in Malachi, God is saying to his children, his children who are struggling, struggling to trust him, test me, test me. And God places a promise on this test. It's safe. It's wise. It's hard, but God will bless it. 
God commands you to tithe. If you are struggling to obey because of your circumstances, your loving father wants you to test him. It's like a dad teaching his child how to ride a bike. Push off. Pedal. I'm right here. I will catch you. Test me. Test me. You can do this. It's going to be all right. God is faithful, and he loves to see practical displays of faith in his children. God is telling you through the prophet Malachi, give me your tithe. Don't fear. Return to me because I am here. I control this world, and I love you. Show me that you know where everything you have comes from. And even though it doesn't add up, trust me. Don't see with eyes of flesh. See with eyes of faith. Remember 1, Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles 16, 11 through 12. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. As I read for us earlier today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 through 11. He who supplies, supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. The harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. He will put it into your hands. Test him. God supplies what you need, and he gives you an increase so that you can be just as generous as he is. God gives it. Put your faith in him. Your status before God is not dependent on tithing. I just want to make that clear before I'm done. But it's part of growing up and moving beyond what I call the elementary doctrines of the faith. Martin Luther, always full of lots of wisdom, said this. People go through three conversions. The conversion of their head, their heart, and their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all at the same time. And it's true. Um, My own story, uh, it took five years before I tithed for the first time. Five years. It took another two before I did it on any kind of regular basis. And I won't mention how many more years until I did it every month faithfully. My poor wife, uh, who's always tithed very faithfully, I, it was several years into my taking over the finances. It's like, so how much do we tithe? I thought, what's tithing? <laughs> One of the many times my, my wife was able to enlighten me a great deal about the word of God. Right? My pocketbook was converted very late, very late. Tithing is a regular test of our faith. That's what it is. It's a regular heart check. Learning to be faithful in the little things teaches us to be faithful in the larger things. One Bible commentator wrote, the daily circumstances of life will afford us opportunities enough of glorifying God and trust without our waiting for any extraordinary calls upon our faith. Let us remember that the extraordinary circumstances of life are but few, that much of life may slip past without their occurrence, and that if we be not faithful and trusting in that which is little, we are not likely to be so in that which is great. Let our trust be reared in the humble nursery of our daily experience with its ever-recurring little wants and trials and sorrows. And then, when need be, it will come forth to do such great things as required of it. Faith is a muscle. The more you do with it, 
the more you can do with it. There is a connection between economic growth and growth in faith. In, for, uh, back in 2 Corinthians 9.10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. Okay, that's all economic. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is working through every aspect of your life to grow you up in faith. And this is one of the regular and strong ways that he's doing that. Now, going back to what Martin Luther said a moment ago in my own experience, I remember this quote from Augustine. I believe so that I know. I believe so that I know. I had to put my faith in God in regards to my finances before I knew the extent he would go to test my faith and provide for my family. I put him to the test, and he more than passed. God is good. God is hard to understand, but he is loving and he is gracious. We are told to trust him, that he is sovereign. We have to believe it before we know it. God commands you to test him in this. Put your faith in him, and you will grow to know that he keeps his promises faithfully. Faith bears fruit. That's why God wants you to test him, so you know the fruit of your faith. God says, test him in this, and so believe, and know by believing, by faith, that God will bless your tithe. God's commands are good for us. They're good for the community. Our collective tithes are the means to provide this community with pastors, with teachers, and a place to worship, and the means to do the work of mercy. Tithing pleases our Father. It's good stewardship that recognizes his generosity and his sovereignty over us. God blesses and protects the finances of a cheerful giver in very special ways, as we've seen. Tithing grows our faith and gives us the opportunity to obey God in the details, in the trifles. It's hard to give away a tenth, especially when the pile is so small. It's hard to see the blessing in it. It's hard in the face of growing economic pressures and difficulty to do it. But your failure to render unto God his due, what he has commanded you to give, is making, making it more difficult to find financial stability. There is undeniable and tangible blessing to regularly tithing. It's hard, but return to the Lord. Look to him. He has promised to bless you, your faithfulness and your faith. If you remain fearful in the face of your circumstances, God leaves you this comfort. The God who sacrificed his own son to redeem you says this, put me to the test. Open your heart and open your hands. And amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your generosity, your goodness that overflows. We pray, Father, that you expose in all our heart our sin, that we may bring it to you, and that you may lovingly set it aside in Christ and embrace us as your children. We thank you, Father, for this life and for this day and for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.